Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, The Battle of Respect, and it is part of the Good Fight Sermon Series. This message is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. We, we decided the first week of August that we would do this series uh, on uh, really civility in the culture and civil discourse. Um, and then later we decided to call it the good fight. Had a hard time deciding what to call it, but we decided the Bible speaks of calling the, the good fight of faith. And so we can get real distracted in the, the wrong fights. <laughs> and had no idea that what this week would be like in our country. And when we, when we made that decision, aren't you glad the Holy Spirit guides the church? Isn't that cool? And the Holy Spirit cares enough about you and me and all of us here today that he would have us address a subject that is um, the only time it would have been this timely would maybe been the week of the election in 2016 when we're pretty divided as a country and as people. Um, but I read the scripture that we're going to read to you in a moment, First Peter chapter 2. It's almost as if the writer uh, of that scripture had his uh, eyes glued to TV, cable TV and social media over the past week when he tells us how to behave toward one another. Um, there's no problem, by the way. I don't think there's a problem. And, and if you wonder where I'm going to go with this, and, and, and I do ask that you... You listen to the whole series and make notes of anything that you have a question about or, well, pastor, you said that. What do you mean by that? Uh, just make a note of it, and, and, but I may answer it next week or the week after. So you may want to hold those questions. And I would appreciate it if you'd come to me personally. If you're upset about something, and I'm, I'm not even predicting you will be. I don't think there's a lot of controversial things I plan to say, but... Uh, if you are concerned about something, I would really appreciate if you'd come get in touch with me personally. I'm, I'm very accessible. Uh, so through email, and uh, I think about 90% of you have my phone number. So <laughs> I probably should change that. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to be able to address, and, and talking to this, a member of the staff or the, my family is not the same as talking to me. Just, just, just tell you that. Okay? Talk to me. And I will try, because I do. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel cared for, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum here today. So uh, I don't believe, I'm not going to say to you that it's wrong to have a political point of view. Uh, I don't think that's a tenable solution. Uh, but as Christ followers, we have other primary battles. And the one I want to talk to you about today is called the battle of respect. Respect means valuing and honoring. Showing respect means showing value and honor. It's more important than you probably think. It's more foundational than you probably think. It's more revealing than you probably think. It's more significant than you probably think. It's more rewarding than you possibly or probably think. To illustrate the problem in our current cultural environment and its relational impact, here's a conversation 
I had just yesterday, and I was kind of wondering how I would open this message up, still hadn't figured out exactly how I wanted to start it. And I happened to have a conversation with a lady in our church yesterday, and she had explained to me already a family emergency that had come up. And here's what she said that I, I made note of. I, I asked permission without uh, revealing her name. I asked permission to at least use the illustration. She said, I, through, due to this family emergency, I was able to escape a long-dreaded weekend with old friends on the Cape that enjoy discussing assassinating conservatives. <laughs> I had a feeling I wouldn't escape the weekend alive. That kind of lets me know that this, this uh, dialogue and, and the argumentation and all this, the, the, the lack of civility that's coming to us, and not always a lack of civility, just, just the, the tenor of the environment, is getting into our personal relationships, our family relationships. Uh, after I asked her to pray, I said, pray for me regarding the series where I want to deal with Christian civility in a broken world. Here's what she said that really blessed me. She said, I actually prayed when I saw it. I know you have all sides in the church, and I know God will give you the right words to help us all look to the lamb before the donkey or the elephant. I thought that was, that's good, huh? Now, as we're going to read here in a moment, Simon Peter writes, and you need to know who he was writing to. He was writing to what theologians like to call the diaspora, and I, I like to say that word because it just makes me sound intelligent, but it just means, that's where we get our word, dispersed, people who are scattered. And so you need to know what was going on because it really relates to our times that we live in. Because here's where these Jewish people, and you go to, if you go to Acts chapter 8, you see these Jewish people, and then they become Jewish Christians who had lived their whole lives in Jerusalem, and in the Jerusalem, the culture of Judaism in Jerusalem, that culture was permeated with Judaism. It was the local community was run by, by the Pharisees. And so it was permeated with Judaism, Judaism doctrine, many of it, some of it solid, some of it gone too far and too oppressive and too many rules, you know. But when they were dispersed, they went to live in all these Roman uh, colonies. These Roman colonies where there was, um, there were not moral standards. They moved in these Roman colonies where uh, all kinds of sexual immorality was everywhere. I mean, Antioch was one place that they went and and Antioch actually had an annual celebration where the high priestesses of the temple, of the local pagan temple, everybody would go down to the local lake or whatever, a body of water that was, maybe, maybe it was on the ocean, I don't remember, but anyway, it was a body of water, and they would go down, and all the high priestess would strip naked and dance around in the water for everybody to watch. And this, this somehow had become a way of worshiping something, I don't know. Well, I kind of do know, but I won't say it here. Uh, and so, can you imagine you're a nice Jewish family, and you've got a couple of teenagers, and you've been living in this culture where uh, they, had never, they had never seen open sexual immorality. And they had sexual immorality, all cultures do, but they'd never seen it open. 
They'd never seen a place without moral standards. They'd never seen a, they'd never seen, it was kind of a, a ultra conservative, to say the least, an ultra conservative culture. And now they're, they're launched into these communities that are Roman uh, colonies and Roman settlements, and, and, and Rome was just like anything goes. And, and some of them probably ended up in Greek colonies as well, which is the same thing. And no wonder he said in, uh, he said down in, uh, uh, later in the passage, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, he said, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. He, he was, Simon Peter was saying, you've been dispersed in all these communities with the persecution. You're, you're now a marginalized people. You're an oppressed people. You're a persecuted people. Life is so hard for you, and now to make it even harder for you, you're going to be raising your families in an environment that is not going to support the values that you have. And that you've always had. Enjoy the freedom. You know, for some of it was woohoo, yes, <laughs> yes. We don't we don't have the we don't have the Pharisees giving us 560 rules anymore. This is awesome. Let's celebrate. You know, I, I imagine a lot of you can just imagine like like some of the husbands were going. You know, all the brothels on every corner. I mean, like Corinth had a brothel on every other corner. There were more brothels than there were any other type of business in Corinth. And I'm sure some husbands are going, you know, boy, I think I'll sneak out once in a while. I mean, it's not so bad not being in Jerusalem. <laughs> and Simon Peter says, no, I want to teach you how to live in a culture where you are caught in the middle. Where you are caught in the middle. You don't fit in with those who have abandoned all moral rules, or at least the rules that you recognize. They've replaced them with other rules. And you don't fit in anymore with the Jewish culture because you have become, you have discovered the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. You are free from the law of Moses. You're free from the law of Moses. But you are not going to, you are going to be destroyed if you give over to the licentiousness of the Gentiles. Listen, let's read what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sin, sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether to the emperor. Now the, emp the emperor was Nero. Study Nero. If you, if you, it, 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 now I, I don't know your feelings about the president. But let's say you don't, you, you don't like him. Okay, let's say, I'm sure there's some people who don't like him. Well, he's not Nero. I'll just tell you, he's, 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 to, he's somewhat to the good side of Nero. <laughs> um, but he says, submit to them, uh, to every human authority, whether the emperor, the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him, by God, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show, get ready to underline, highlight, whatever you do. Show proper respect to everyone. 
Wow. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And again, he says, honor the emperor. Then I want you to jump over just to 1 Peter chapter 3, the next chapter, verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, show proper respect to everyone. In the original Greek, everyone means everybody. That was, supposed, that was funnier in my head than it was when I said it. <laughs> this is an amazing verse. I want to talk to you about it today. I want to talk about respect as the foundational principle of our lives, respect as the practice of our lives, and respect and the ultimate reward for our lives. Respect is the foundational principle of our lives. Of our lives. Everything you need to know about the practice of Christianity. I believe this statement is true. Everything you need to know about the practice of Christianity can be understood by knowing and understanding the cross and Jesus dying on the cross. We are people of the cross. We are people of Calvary and Golgotha. Everything that Jesus did and everything that communicated at that place of our salvation exuded with respect. Showing value. Everything about the incarnation of Christ coming to earth. God was showing humanity respect. He was saying, I value you. I value you. I, I care about you. I exalt you. You are, you are important to me. You are important to me. You are so important to me. I'm going to give you the best I have. I'm going to give you the best of my attention, the best of my time. I'm going to give you the best person that I have. If, if we, he's not a person, but, a, but, but the best being that I have. I'm going to give you the best that I have, and I'm going to give him to you for the prime years of his life. And he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die for your sins. You can't get any more respectful than that. He showed respect for everyone by giving his life. He showed respect for the mob that cried crucify him by not insulting them or discrediting them. From that platform on the cross, most of us, all kinds of disrespect would have come out of our mouths on the way to the cross and on the cross. But Jesus never said a word of just one disrespectful word to the mob that had cried crucify him and put him on that cross. He showed respect for the thieves on either side of him by offering them redemption. He showed respect for the soldiers by publicly forgiving them. By publicly, instead of diminishing them, he, 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 in a way, excused them. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. That is, that's honoring people who don't deserve it, right? He showed respect for his mother by arranging for John to take care of her. He showed respect for John by trusting him. Imagine you're dying on the cross and you're thinking, I have to respect my mom. Some of you can't even pull that off and you, you, and, and you, you got a big old room of your own with your own TV set and you still can't pull that off. Amen? <laughs> Nevertheless, being crucified to a cross and you're going, i got to respect my mom. He showed respect by his father by questioning, by not disparaging him. I think that's really significant. He said, Father, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why? Why is it? It was respectful. I want an answer. I want, I want to know why. But he didn't say, you blew it. You're making a big mistake. He honored the father. He showed respect for himself. And I think this is really significant. He showed respect for himself by maintaining his composure and his dignity. You know, we, we, we use the phrase, he made a fool of himself. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean this person behaved in such a way that they didn't show themselves respect. They disrespected themselves by acting like a fool or acting like an idiot or acting like whatever word term, uh, uh, pejorative term you want to use. He maintained his exposure, his dignity, and he did not blame himself. He didn't blame himself. He stayed, his, he stayed strong and respectful. Now, if a man could, re, if, if a man could be respectful in the most shaming situation of his life, surely that's a model for you and me. Surely it's a model for how we're to behave in this world. Abstain from sinful desires. That we're, you know, let me just come back to that idea of respecting oneself. Because First uh, Peter 2.17 says to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. What that says to me is that God does not just want me to not to sin because sin bothers him or offends him or he's grossed out by it or, 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 or he's embarrassed by me sinning. He wants me not to sin because it's bad for me. He said, he said avoid sinful desires because they wage war against your soul. I say to you that that's so important. The best way to start grasping the value of others is to start comprehending your own. And a lot of people that can't respect others is because they do not respect themselves. They don't, they don't value their own worth. And they don't value who they are. And so they, they are not able to transport that. They, they project, project their own rejection of self. They project their own devaluing of self onto everybody around them. It's very, very, very hard to respect others when you don't respect yourself. It's very, very hard to really be kind to others when you're not kind to yourself. And if some of us could know that talk unkindly to others, if we could, if we could get inside your head, we would find out that you talk very unkindly to yourself. And what you do to others is what you have already done to yourself and you think they deserve it because you, you somehow think you deserve it. I love the Christian faith, but the Christian faith takes care of me and everybody around me. The Christian faith does not say, take care of yourself to the exclusion of everybody else. The Christian faith does not say, take care of everybody else to the exclusion of yourself. The Christian faith is the perfect psychology. I said, and I mean that with all of my heart, the Christian faith is absolutely impeccable, pristine, perfect. Psychology. Well, it makes sense, right? God created your brain and your, your, your emotions. It makes sense that he would give you a philosophy and a doctrine that it totally merges with healthy and perfect psychology. Do you realize that God wants you to take care of yourself? Do you realize that? He wants to take care of yourself, as one person has said, as though you're someone else you're trying to help. I love that. He wants you to take care of yourself as though you're someone else that you're trying to help. And after you figure that out, treat others with the same respect. It's all over the place. It's, it's that little thing called the golden rule. Doing to others as you'd have them doing to you. 
It seems, though, that in every era, the human race struggles with a simple direction to show respect to everyone. We have a a history. Human race has a history of disrespect. Until, I would say, the beginning of the 19th century, uh, there was a widely, strongly, majority-held belief in America, inside the church, outside the church, by politicians everywhere, that Africans... We're not really humans. I know that's hard to believe, but I, uh, I was just going through, in preparation for this series, I started listening to an audio book about Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. And when, when I began to hear the, hear the stories of how they treated uh, Africans and Indians, Africans and Indians, they really believed at their heart, core belief, that they were not fully human, that they did not have a soul. So therefore, they could be lynched and killed and slaughtered and have their land stolen and everything else. And I, and I don't buy into everything that's said about, uh, about some who want to bash American history. But, you know, they're, they're, we, we didn't do well with this. And, and, and we have it throughout history. We, we show disrespect. We, uh, and, and, I mean, women should have never had to march to get to vote. That's just ridiculous. Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from that, that a woman wasn't a person, just like a man was a person? But that was public policy uh, until, uh, until the 20th century. That was public policy until way into the 20th century. And, of course, children. Children were, I mean, throughout history, children have been treated horribly throughout history. You know, children were, were, were created as disposable objects through, uh, through most of history until they could prove that they had some, uh, some useful skill that would be helpful. Uh, horrible things have happened because we do not follow this edict. We have not followed the edict to respect everyone. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Respect everyone. You'd think we would know that, right? But it's wrong to blame Christianity. You can blame Christians if you want, but it's wrong to blame Christianity. In fact, I, I, I saw a wonderful interview. Uh, it was kind of, I thought it was going to be a debate because it was N.T. Wright, who's uh, one of the premier theologians in the world today, and uh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland is an atheist, but a historian and very astute, very, uh, very smart guy, and has written extensively on uh, the Roman and Greek cultures. And uh, just, just he also has written extensively on Islam. And uh, uh, certainly if you want to research Islam, uh, Tom Holland is a guy I would recommend you go read. Uh, but so, so I, I, I watched it, it was interest on YouTube, and I was, I was, I was hoping to see like, kind of like a, a debate between N.T. Wright and Tom Holland about Christianity. And I was shocked when Tom Holland says, When it's his turn to talk, he said, for many, many years, and I'm I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he communicated this. For many, many years, I identified with Greek and Roman culture because I believe the Greek and Roman culture, they were sophisticated, right? And then I began to study the Greek and Roman culture more, and I began to read the epistles of Paul. I began to read the New Testament. Now, keep in mind, this guy's an atheist. He's not a Christian. Uh, He doesn't believe what we believe. He said, I begin to read the epistles, and I begin to compare them with the behavior of the Greeks and the Romans. 
how Greeks and Romans treated their slaves. They treated their slaves horribly. They treated women horribly. They treated one another horribly. A, a man could, and he, his, his words, a man could have sex anytime, anywhere, any way he wanted with anybody he wanted. And no one would stop him. And then the pagan rituals were so vile and so weird that it defied description. There was one particular, one particular pagan uh, goddess that they, the men would worship and they would become so worked up worshiping this, fem, this female goddess that they would literally castrate themselves. Tom Holland said, I begin to read the epistles of Paul, where Paul said, in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, but all are one in Christ. And where Paul admonished slave owners to be kind to their slaves, that was unheard of in the day that Paul wrote that. That was unheard of. No wonder they cut his head off. Because that was so, so cross-cultural, anti-cultural, that you can't believe it. And yet that's what Paul said, and that's what Paul wrote. And he said this, which is amazing. He said, he said it was Christianity that empowered victims. Christianity was the first philosophy to come around along that if you were a victim, you were empowered. He said in Roman culture, in Greek culture, if you said, I'm a victim, they said, well, so what? Unlucky you. You know, you read, read the works of Socrates and Plato and the things they believed about race and the things they believed about human beings. I mean, there were, they believed there were classes of human beings that did not have rights and did not have the full rights of humanity. And it was the gospel and the epistles and the, and the works of Paul that, that for the first time in history, human worth was established across the board without discrimination. And Tom Holland, this non-believer, said, it, said it's not the enlightenment that gave us equal rights. It's the epistles of Paul. And he said... I couldn't believe it. He said, I am not a Christian, but I now have a Christian worldview. Man, I just, I just, I nearly lost it. I just, wow. Here's somebody who's not one of us, and he's articulating our faith, and we're always going around shaming ourselves, and we're shaming ourselves, and we're trying to, we're trying to show that, well, the Bible did this, and the Bible did that. Man, let me tell you, Bible if you read it right and you interpret it right, it exalts culture and it exalts people and it raises people to the highest dignity that you could possibly afford them. Don't be ashamed of the Bible and don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Respect as the practice of our everyday lives. The Hebrew word most often translated respect means to turn toward. So, Respect, the more I notice you, the more I deeply I show you respect. Respect is ultimately noticing. You know, when somebody gives you that, that gift because they notice that's what you like, you know, they keep noticing and you're like, oh, you notice that I like to eat that? Or you notice that I, I like that, that color? Are, are you noticed that, that I'd like to go watch that? activity and you gave me a ticket to that you, you notice that's my favorite group and you gave me a ticket to that concert wow you're awesome you feel respected because they noticed you and we do these little we do these little token respect things in the culture you know 
open doors for people. And I find that such a dilemma, though, sometimes, you know? You're walking into Walmart, and, well, they have automatic doors there, but let's say a place that doesn't have automatic doors. I can't think, maybe, but they're double doors. And so the person's going out the right side door, and they open that door for you, and, and I'm, I always have a dilemma. I'm not supposed to go in that door. That's the left side. I have to go in the right side, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up traffic flow, but, but you can see they're offended if you don't go in the left side door. And I'm thinking, this is, this is just, you know, we, we do this token thing of respect, you know, which, which that's good. I think that's really nice. Let's not change it because we have too many areas where we're not showing respect. So let's keep just going the left door. Just do it. You know, just do it because it's a token of respect. We want to reward it. But we need to, respect is turning toward one another. Now, I want to clear up a few things, though. Let me just give you a few bullet points. Stop confusing respect with showing respect. I don't respect everybody. I don't respect every idea. Some ideas are stupid. I don't respect... Some ideas are evil. I don't respect every idea. I don't respect everybody. It's, oh, but the Bible says respect. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say respect everybody. He didn't say respect everyone. You're a mess if you respect everyone. You're a mess if you, if you don't have some people that you disrespect. I mean, mass murders, do you, do you respect them? You know, I respect what he did. <laughs> Come on. No, I don't respect him. I don't respect a lot of people. I don't respect a lot of ideas. He didn't say respect. He said show respect. That's a whole different ballgame. It's, it's what, uh, who was the serial killer? Um, um, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a serial killer. And some of you, it's kind of a, uh, he's kind of an old-fashioned serial killer, so some of you don't remember him. But uh, the old people like me remember Ted Bundy. And it's horrible, horrible things. Killed all these co-eds. I don't know how many, just so many. It's horrible. And, uh, but he, he gets in prison. He's on the death row. And Dr. Richard Dobbins, not Richard Dobbins, but James Dobson. I'm sorry. I was getting confused. James Dobson started visiting him in prison and led him to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's showing. You can even show Ted Bundy respect. You don't respect him, but you show him respect. So that's a very important distinction because some of you are all guilt and shamed because you don't respect some things and people, you, you need to respect everything. No, don't respect everything. Be very discerning about what you respect. The other thing I want to tell you to do is enlarge your definition of showing respect. If respect is showing value, there are varied ways of showing respect. Now that, that would take a, a whole sermon series or at least an hour or so to to talk about all the ways you show respect. It's quite amazing how many ways there are to show respect. Some of respect is just putting down your iPad and phone and looking at somebody when they talk to you and talk back to them. Sometimes it's that simple showing respect. Sometimes it's just giving a person a, a, a compassionate look, a compassionate touch, a compassionate word, letting people know that you know they're alive and you care about them. And you care about what happens to them. Another thing I would say about respect is stop thinking respectfulness is never being willing to be harsh. 
that's a whole another lungs conversation that I don't have, we don't have time to have this morning. But you look at some of the things Jesus and Paul in particular, those two guys said to people, and they were pretty, <laughs> they said some pretty tough things to people. And there's a, uh, you know, here, here's, here's the thing about harshness. You got to be very careful with it. And you got to be very, very selective about where you use harshness. Pretty much don't use it at home at all. <laughs> but when someone is clearly in the wrong and they are showing extreme, even deadly respect to large groups of people, sometimes the only alternative you have to show respect is to show them their value in a very weird way. And you show them how much damage they're doing. And that's a way, occasionally, you have to use to let people know they are valuable. That what they're doing badly matters. You know, Jesus sends a message to Herod, tell that old fox. That doesn't sound very respectful, does it? Tell that old fox that I do cures today and, and cures tomorrow and I'll be raised on the third day. You just go tell him. <laughs> you know, Apostle Paul one time, you're not going to like this. I couldn't say this if it wasn't in the Bible. It's just, it's so bad. It sounds so bad that he said this. You know, there's people who were teaching circumcision and they were telling, they were telling the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised with men. And Paul said, I wish those people would go all the way and, 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 and uh, emasculate themselves. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> that's really rough. So showing respect, if you want to become a respectful person, I, and this is going to be a relief to some of you because some of you really like to do that, and, and you shouldn't as much as you do. But becoming a Christian does not make you a nicey, nicey person with no guts. No, you, you become, but you got to become discerning enough and wise enough to know those rare occasions when you have to sound disrespectful. But you got to know that you're doing it for a higher cause and you can't be just doing it because you got a habit of running around, going around running your mouth disrespectfully and you've got a habit of just saying stupid things and you got a habit of just, of just of being, of showing disrespect all the time. That is not the same thing. Like I said, I wish we had a, an hour to talk about that. There's a lot more there. Um, <clears throat> stop checking people's group identity before you show them respect. Stop trying to find it. Well, are you a conservative? Oh, you're conservative. Huh. Are you a liberal? Oh, yeah. Well, I know. I know what your, your, your problem is. Bill Johnson said something. Bill Johnson with Bethel. I love this. It's a, it's, it's a, I think you can find a video of this on Facebook. He said, can you love the poor without hating the rich? Can you love the rich without hating the poor? Can you love women without hating men? Can you honor men without hating women? Can you love the privilege 
without hating the underprivileged? Can you love the underprivileged without hating the privileged? Can you love the powerful without hating the powerless? Can you love the powerless without hating the powerful? Can you love one race without hating another? Can you love Republicans without hating Democrats? Can you love Democrats without hating Republicans? That's showing respect to everyone. I appreciate this body, even though our church's doctrinal view regarding the definition of marriage hasn't changed. I was really pleased a while back when a, a, a gay couple were in our church. And they, they only left our church because they moved away. But you showed respect. And I am proud of you for that. That was a good thing. That was the, that's the thing that we should do. You don't check people's group identity before you say, ah, I'm going to respect you, I'm not going to respect you. And, and so, some, some, some people have very, very strange groupings of people they don't show respect to. Like, like some people, I've met people who don't respect leaders, period. If you're a leader, I'm sure you remind them of some leader that abused them or leaders that abused them. And so if you're in leadership, you're not going to get respected. I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen leaders who don't respect people who've, who are of lower status. I've seen that too, where they disdain people of lower status. Well, there's something wrong with them. There's something unfair about them. But the great people of life and the spiritual people and the people that I admire are the people who are, they respect up and down. They look down and they respect. They look up and they respect. They look around and they respect. They're constantly showing love and respect. Basically, showing respect is that you really strive to communicate, even in disagreement. That doesn't diminish. Start showing respect to the people that are closest to you. That's the only path to change the world. Let me say that again. You want to know where to start when you leave this church service today? Start with the people that are closest to you. Now, I want to be very, very transparent on this. I blow this a lot. I blow this a lot. I'm going to give you an example in a second of where I really didn't blow it. And I'm not going to give you examples today of all the ways I blow it with my family and the people that are closest to me. But this is the greatest area where we, I believe most of us battle respect is to the people that are closest to us. And the Lord is saying to us today, go home and get that right. So let me give you an example. And I ask Elise, uh, she's away at PK retreat today. And that's uh, pastor, pastor's kids retreat. So I ask her, Elise, can I share this illustration about a, con a text conversation that we had the other night where I think both of us got the respect thing right. Okay. And so she said, I could share it. So I just decided to put it in, in uh, like have them put it on slides. So here we go. It's four minutes till 11, and Elise is not home. She's supposed to be home at 11. And I, I want to go to sleep, but I don't want to go to sleep, and she's not home. So I text her. I said, you turn into a pumpkin in four minutes. 
She said, hey, on my way home, should, they, should be there at 8. Hope I don't turn into a pumpkin. I went to Target to grab some stuff for my friends coming over tomorrow morning. Me, I'll give pumpkin grace till 11.15. Elise, I don't have school till 10.35 tomorrow, by the way. Me, it's just that 11. It's time to be home on a weeknight. You're good about letting, getting home around that time anyway. I'm affirming. See, I'm showing respect. I just never want you to think, and I, I meant this sincerely. This just came spontaneously out of my heart. I just never want you to know, to think, I don't care about you. To me, dads who never care how late their kids stay out are sending a message that says, I don't care enough about you to protect you. Now, I'm not always that wordy. I just, I don't know what got into me that night. She says, I got it. Love you. I said, I love you too. Now, I wish all my exchanges were that beautiful. <laughs> but they're not. But I'm ticked. You know, when I start, when I put that first message, I'm ticked. I wonder home at 11. But what I said in the message was what I really feel about her. I really feel that way about her. I really want her to know. It would have been easier for me to go to sleep. I was tired. It would have been much easier for me to close my eyes and go to sleep. But I respect her so much. I honor her so much. I don't want her to think that she's not incredibly valuable to me. I want her to know that. And I, and I, for those of you who don't have a dad who cared about you to that degree, please forgive them today. Please forgive them and, and let Christ and let Christ's church fill in the heart that's there because you didn't have that. But dads that are here this morning, there's, at least there, follow my example. Follow my example and show your children respect. See, you can, you, you, can, you can deal with things that are very harsh, hard to deal with. But why hit with a hammer when you can hit with a feather? Why? You're probably going to get a lot. What are you going to do when something needs a hammer? If you use a hammer because somebody's eight minutes late. Well, you're not going to have any tools left. You use your feather for 15 minutes light. Use your hammer in other places. <laughs> I, and I don't do the hammer very well, but anyway. Respect and the source of the ultimate reward in our lives. We all know, and here's this is very important. All of us have had this experience in our lives where we know by now that respect is very often not reciprocated. And so we conclude it doesn't work. Oh, I, I could write a book. I could write volumes about people. But I think we, not just me, but the leadership of this church, this whole church, all of us, we just showed such respect. We, sh we showed them such value with everything we had, we, we, we treated people out of a sense of our value, how much we valued them. And it's often not reciprocated. It's often you don't get 
a thank you back or, or anything like that. Now, if you don't want to become a bitter person, you better figure out who your Lord is. You better figure out where the reward comes from. Because humans are often by nature sinfully self-interested. Sinfully self-interested, I said. And then also, there's a particular type of person that psychologists call sociopaths. And the Bible calls them people with hard hearts. Who are extremely good at being attracted to respectful people. Exploiting respectful people, but not able of returning any affection or respect or grace back. And then also, another thing that happens is people will often create criteria for respect that you can't righteously meet. Or you can't righteously, sensibly, or healthfully meet. People will, will set up a, 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 a respect set of rules that you can't, you know, you, your, your, your daughter says, well, if, if you respect me, you'll let my boyfriend sleep over. <laughs> well, that's a false dichotomy. It's called a false dichotomy. Right? But people will do that to you all the time. They'll set up false dichotomies and false criteria for respect. And you just have to ignore it. And look to God. God, you show me how to show respect. If you want to have deep inner peace and joy to the most possible good for humanity, you will live in love for the audience of one. Even if you should suffer for what is right, Paul, Paul, Peter said, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Our hope doesn't come from the culture. Our hope doesn't come from the people around us. We do not fear what they fear. Amen. We can care about politics. We can care about who the Supreme Court justice is. We can care about that, and that's fine. That's appropriate that you cared whether or not, either side you were on, it's appropriate that you cared. It's just not appropriate to care too much because we do not fear what they fear. We don't fear what they fear. The best way I know to faithfully win the battle of respect is to have ultimate respect for the ultimate Savior. Look to the lamb before the donkey or the elephant. When you respect Christ... Notice what he says back in 1 Peter 3.15. But this is the new century version. But respect Christ as the holy Lord in your hearts. When Christ becomes your ultimate object of respect, it changes your life. It really does. When you respect Christ, it changes the way you treat the rest of the human race. You may still have the same political convictions, but you live them out differently and you value people differently. I want you to listen to me right now, carefully. In a moment, I'm going to ask prayer partners to come. Because I want some of you to find out the source of our hope. And why we do not fear what they fear. The senior pastor of Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, was Clemente C. Pickney. 
He was a Democratic senator and a powerful politician. But the night he was martyred, he was leading a Bible study and prayer with a handful of believers in the basement of his church. When a young white racist came in, took his life and eight other of his parishioners. But what did those survivors do? Well, first of all, what did they not do? They did not take to the streets with placards. They did not scream anti-racist slogans. They went before TV cameras and they said, we forgive the man who did this. They showed everyone respect. I love them for that and I appreciate them for that and they are my heroes for that. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Let me ask you. Do you have a relationship that can transform you into a person who shows respect to everyone? If you don't, I can arrange a meeting for you right now with the one who created what I would call the philosophical construct for respect, the basis of the doctrine of equality in Western civilization. He's my Savior. I give you Jesus. Prayer partners, would you come right now? And if you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and make Him the basis of your philosophy, not a political party or even a political point of view, but you want something more solid and less changing and less unstable, unstable and less uh, controversial then I want to invite you to make Jesus Christ the centerpiece of the philosophy of your life. Or maybe you're out there today and you just know you have been a person who hasn't shown people respect. With time, with attention, with words, all the standard measures of respect, you know you have not shown respect. And you want to pray a prayer of repentance for that. Prayer partners will be glad to pray with you. Maybe you're someone who suffers from being disrespected and you have wounds, deep, deep wounds because of some ways, many ways that you were, you were violated maybe early in your life or throughout your life and therefore you feel so damaged and sometimes if you're honest you feel so wronged you can do no wrong. And that's a very dangerous place to be. You need Christ to save you and rescue you from feeling so wrong that you can do no wrong. Because you're only going to destroy yourself. So these prayer partners, these wonderful prayer partners are here to pray with you. And maybe you have a need that doesn't even fit what I just explained. You just want to pray with somebody. Also, you can do these same things by having communion. Just come, take communion. Step off to the side so others can get to the communion table or go back to your seat and do that. So I'm going to say a short prayer, then you come. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word that's so faithful and so wonderful. Now, God, bless those people who need to respond to this invitation, and bless everyone who enters Holy Communion and the response of the saints. In Jesus' name, amen.
say this together, is love, joy, peace. This translation says forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. I do, probably shouldn't have even have read that from my phone because I know it. And that is the foundation of what, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives and in our physical bodies, in our spirits and our minds, because the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of you, out of your mouth, out of your life, when you become filled with the Spirit, are those things, and that is freedom, the freedom to behave in those ways, the freedom to choose those things, amen? So glad you shared that, Christy, because that's for the last couple of years, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what, how, how can we deal with this kind of shift in culture that's happened. And, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I just had come out of surgery when, uh, when the election started. I had surgery at the end of 2015, so I'm, I'm down in my basement quite a bit <laughs> in January of 2016. So you know what I was watching time the TV was on. Even when I would work sometimes, I would leave the TV on with the sound off. And so I really, more than usual, immerse myself in that whole, and boy, I said, what is the church, how do we respond to this? How is this not going to just tear us apart? And, and I believe that what the Lord kept saying to me, the church needs to get back to being filled with the Spirit being led by the Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit knows how, to, how for, we should navigate. We can't pick up a formula. You, you know, pardon me for taking a little time here, but what the church has done in my, in my ministry lifetime, we will, we will find different leaders around the country, and I've done it too, and we go, okay, we're going to do what Rick Warren's doing out in California. Well, we'll do that for a while. We'll do what Bill Hybels is doing in Chicago. Or somebody else. We'll do what some guy in Tulsa is doing. Because it's just what we do. But my sense was, 
two years ago, we're, we're leaving that era when we can just do what somebody else is doing. Just take somebody else's pattern, bring it to our church. The church has to become led by the Spirit. We've got to begin to pray. Amen? And actually, this is going to really be good. This is a change we needed to make anyway. We've been doing too much. I'm guilty. Too much getting somebody else's package, take it out of the box and try to open it up at Bethany. We have to, we, we've got to get our mind, we're going to be led by the Spirit in how we've approached so many subjects and so many things, but I don't feel negative anymore. I did for a while. I got a little depressed for a while, but I feel positive now. And I'm in a good place. You're in a good place. This is a good church family. We're going to figure this out. Amen? God bless you. Enjoy your day.